0: My name is Kevin Crow. I'm one of the student pastors here and uh, I get the opportunity just to share with you what God's been teaching me, uh, leading you guys through uh, God's Word and just, if nothing else, um, what I have been learning and growing and just what uh, God's Word has been uh, just uh, resonating in my heart. But let me start by this. How many of you guys love going on vacation? Yes? Anybody in here? Yes. All right. A few of you. Um, money, st- things aside, I love going on vacation. But For me personally, as I've gotten older, I've learned there's kind of two camps that exist when it comes to vacation planning. There's those who like to plan literally everything. They will spend months and hours, like digital um, technology is a wonderful thing. You can just research until like you go into the black abyss of all the things and happenings that you can do. But then there's the other side of it. The other side is just, you know what, they just want to show up. So that's the side that, you know what, hey, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to go to camp, I'm not even going to worry about my sleeping bag, my toothbrush, who even needs that? If I, if I remember it, it's great, right? Like those are kind of the two camps that we fall in when it comes into uh, vacation mode and planning. Um, I personally am in the planner side of things. I, I like to plan things out. I like the options it gives me. Uh, weather comes in. I like being able to know like my transition, restaurants full, whatever it may be. I, I like to plan. But For whatever reason... Um, When it comes to this idea of planning, there's a sense of hope and excitement that comes with uh, vacations and things like that. Um, Along those lines, one of the things we do as a church, um, as staff, whenever time we have a global adventure go out, we like to go to the airports and, and pray over and send our teams off. And my favorite question to ask is... Hey, when did you start packing? You get those who's like the 2 a.m.s before, you know, the morning before. um, And those of us who have been leaders, we know exactly who they are as they're just like lugging themselves in. And there's those like two weeks prior, like they've already like organized it. They're down to like one carry-on backpack and that's it for two weeks. And it is glorious. But either way, we've all gone through seasons where we hope for what's next. Maybe a season for you that you can remember, if it's not in the here and now, was when you were maybe middle school, junior high. In this season, you know, you were so looking forward to 16, right? When I got into high school and turned 16, I got this extra level of responsibility from my parents. Maybe they were going to allow you to start dating. Maybe you can go get your driver's license. Um, whatever it was, there was a new level of uh, just freedoms that you got. But you get there, and the next thing you start planning for is, you know, finishing uh, high school up, graduation, going to college, maybe getting the job, getting the money that I can spend on whatever I wanted to spend it on. No one can tell me what I can do with it, Right? But no matter what it is, as adults, we start getting in this uh, mindset of hoping for what's next. So we've had seasons where we've hoped for what's next. And I don't think that's changed and will change going future in, uh, into the future, but it's something that definitely has not changed from the past. And so this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus 16. And we're going to be talking about how this hope that uh, exists in God's people, how sometimes that can create some really cool expectations but also they can create some um some grumblings but let me give you a little back history while um you're getting there so the israelites they're, they're the same way right there, there's this hope but their hope has kind of been taken away see um the israelites have been captives in slavery for in egypt for over 400 years at this point point. and i mean you have generations upon generations upon generations of individuals that's all they've known so the idea of hope, yeah, the glimmer of hope and seeking for what's next was probably like a crippling th- a thought process. Not only that, it probably was even frowned upon by like the leaders and elders. Like, no, 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 like that, that'll get you in trouble. That'll probably get you killed. You can't do that. But here comes Moses on the scene, right? Moses being led by God, he confronts Pharaoh, says, Let my people go. They had have the whole back and forth. God's, you know, has, has empowered Moses to, to be his champion um, to the people. You've got plagues. You've got all this exchange going on all the way into uh, Exodus 13. Let me read this real quick. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory. Even though that was the shortest route to the promised land, God said if the people are faced with the battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So think about this. I mean, this glimmer of hope, right? Like the Israelites, they've been in captivity for all these years. They finally get a glimmer of hope. And then the next thing, and Pharaoh says, all right, I've had enough, go. And the first thing that happens is they are led in this like most crazy, non-direct path whatsoever. Now the, the planner in me... Like, as I read this, it's like excruciating. Like, I just like cringe at this. Like, I think about this like in modern day. Think maybe for a lot of you guys that are, that are here, you have a transplant to NWA. At some point, either a vendor or this little known company that likes to save people money called you up and offered you a job and you decided to take it. Like, okay, we're going to do this after long conversations with your family. We're going to leave everything and we're going to move to Northwest Arkansas. We've packed up the U-Haul. We've got the dogs, the cat, everything's packed up. Your boss calls you that morning and says, hey, you ready to go, Kevin? You ready to show up? Um, And you're like, yeah, we've got it all packed. We're on the road. He's like, okay, I've sent you an email and I got you a map and the best way to get here. And then in that map, he says, you know what? Here's what I need you to do. I want you to get to Georgia. I want you to stop somewhere there, travel up to Columbia, go ahead and take a, you know, just a swing by through Denver, maybe Seattle, somewhere in there, make your way to Dallas. And then yet at some point you can end up here in NWA, right? Like, no, any of us would be like, what are you talking about? Like, you've just offered me an opportunity to go forward and you're telling me to do what? And so when I think about the Israelites and I think about all they're going through, like, I'm just, I, I kind of relate to them. Like, I kind of relate to their grumblings that happen. And if I'm honest with myself, I think about my own current habits. I think about the things that I'm going through. I think about why have I already failed my New Year's resolution? Why is it that I go through this season where I'm like, man, I don't think God's, uh, I don't know what he's teaching me right now. I, I don't know what are the reasons why I'm already just in a rut. But then when I started stepping back and I started thinking about this, the reasons I feel stuck is not because God's not speaking to me. Because I get so consumed with my own way of doing things, my own habits, my own direction, my own routine. And when I get stuck on these things, it's really hard for me to allow God to start moving and allowing Him to lead me in a direction that He wants. Even when that direction is actually what I need. More on that in a bit. So let's jump into chapter 16. We're a, we're a month removed of the Israelites leaving Egypt. So that's where we're at, okay? So they've, they've seen a lot of things. They've had a lot of things going. And we're going to start with verse 1 and start working our way through chapter 16. Verses 1 through 3 here. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If the Lord had only killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death? See, it's easy for us to judge the Israelites, or at least it's easy for me to judge the Israelites. I start looking at them like, man, they are whining. They've been witnessing miracle after miracle. They've had the Red Sea parted. God has been literally guiding them uh, through a pillar of cloud and fire by night. Like this is this is crazy. Why are they complaining? But then I think about this. Have you, have you ever been hangry? Right, hangry. Like this is a true word. Like, it's in the dictionary, right? It, it's, it's a new word that has recently been accepted. My wife, like, she will tell you, like, she was nodding, her, she'd be nodding her head yes, rolling her eyes all at the same time, and tell you, yes, Kevin gets hangry. Like, my entire mood, my entire, just like, just everything about me, when I get, like, extremely hungry, like I can start getting irritable, I start getting short-tempered, and you can literally just hand me a piece of food, and you can watch my whole demeanor shift, right? Is anybody else in that category with me? All right, all right, all right, I'm not the only one, thank you, okay. And so I think about the Israelites, right? They've been walking around the desert for a month. If you go back in chapter 15, they've already had a problem with quality water and God providing them that. And as an individual, I love outdoor and adventure and wilderness. It's hard enough as an individual to try to find, as an individual to find, like, enough substance to provide for myself for a month in the desert. Imagine thousands and thousands of people. They have probably already worked through all the rations, what little bit they had. And here they are going through and they're getting, they're hangry. And they are getting irritable. They're not thinking clearly. And they start whining. And what do they say in verse 3? Like, man, if the Lord had just killed us back in Egypt. You know, as humans, we know that when our physical needs are met, we're in a, we're in a better place. But here we are. We have the Israelites without food. They're without a sense of permanency. And, that, and they don't know what's, what's happening. They don't know where they're going. They've already been led around on this crazy journey. And they start questioning God's provisions. You know God's provision sometimes in our life, it's, it can be a complicated things to, to really grasp and understand. And I'm guilty of this. I forget the promises of God and I'd rather focus on the strength of myself. And as a result of that, what I have happened is I start, start relying, when things get tough, I start relying on what I can do and how I can get through it. And every single time I find myself casting blame, find myself in a situation where I just start crumbling I don't have an ability to move forward. I find myself lost. And here we are in this season with the Israelites. They've, got, they've been through pain, so much pain and suffering. And we have seasons just like that. Maybe you're in one now. I think for myself, a season that just, as soon as I started thinking about this, that flooded my memory. My dad's death, not even two years uh, ago. And when that happened, the first thing I wanted to do was blame God. Like, God, this was your fault that you allowed this to happen. And then when I moved past that, I was blaming my dad. And then from there, I was blaming others. And was just this constant just cycle of me blaming anyone I could. Instead of taking a step back and realizing, God didn't want that to happen. He wanted, but He does want me to trust in Him. He does want me to look at what He's providing for me. And even in that moment, that season that is just full of pain and suffering there's still glimpses of hope that he is providing for me. But I was too caught up in my own to even see that. And so when I think about this, I feel like the Israelites, they were feeling neglected. They were irrational. And they were probably going through that same mindset. Like, oh, we've gotten out here. We're we're, we're totally abandoned. We're left alone. What's going to happen to us? How are we supposed to do this? But what's crazy about that is even when we turn our backs on God, even when we decide to stop trying to listen to him, he's still always there, arms wide open, willing to listen to us. And that's exactly what took place. So God is listening to his people. And so we jump to verse 4. And he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Which, that's awesome, right? Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this way to see whether or not they'll follow my instructions. On the sixth day will they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. And then jumping to verse 11 through 14. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, vast number of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew when the dew evaporated a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. And then if you jump to 30, verse 31 to understand what the substance was, the Israelites called, it, called the food manna. So this idea of manna, it, it's a crazy phenomenon, right? Like, and I've studied scriptures and I look at it. The best way I can try to explain it in today's age is like literally like the version of like mystery cafeteria food. Like that's the best way I can explain it, right? Like it's still there. It never runs out. And yet somehow it's supposed to provide you some substance. Like, I don't know. It's this crazy thing. It exists. That's probably not theological, but that's the best way I can describe it, Right. So they were instructed, right, to connect, collect enough food that they needed for that day. To, say, to, to understand that, listen, as God, I have heard you, and because I love you, I will provide for you. But even in that instruction, the Israelites still found themselves seeking after more. And when I think about myself and those same instructions I've been given... So many times God has provided for me day in and day out, and yet I still find myself whining and moaning and complaining because I don't feel like I have enough. And so the people, even though they heard God provide, and they saw God provide, miracle after miracle, they still went back for extra. What's it say in verses 19 through 20? Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning, but some of them didn't listen and kept it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was angry with them. And yet others decided to do the same thing on the, on the Sabbath. Some people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. And the Lord asked Moses, How long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? See, the people's doubt in God's provisions, not only was it frustrating to Moses, it was disappointing to God. And I bet he feels the same way and that same disappointment in me every single time he has provided for me. When I just look even at my family and just the miracles that he has daily provided and yet how quickly I get so caught up in my my own, my own ambitions, my own way of doing things, my own routine and I walk my away and I turn my back to God and yet There he is still, arms wide open, saying, Kevin, I love you and I still want to provide for you, but you've got to get out of your own way and listen to me. I'm so guilty of this, and maybe you guys are as well, maybe not. But it's more than just talking about food and material things, it's talking about my acceptance and rejection of the living word, of God's just truth to me that He loved me so much that He has sacrificed His Son for my sins, my mistakes. And so what I love reading about the, in the Old Testament is when I, when I dive into the Old Testament, I get a glimpse and understanding, a greater glimpse of understanding of these, these stories of principles that were being taught. And what those principles being taught you let me do is get a greater understanding of the truth of what Christ is speaking of when I, when I flip on further. So jump with me to John 6. So in John 6, in verses 48 through 56, we've heard all about the Israelites, we've heard all about their complaining, and then God providing for them And yet there's still this struggle, this back and forth struggle, and and the manna that is there. And here Jesus, as he's teaching about this, here's what he's got to say. In John 6, verses 48 through 56, "'I am the bread of life. "'Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, "'yet they still died. "'But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, "'which anyone may eat and not die. "'I am the living bread that came down from heaven. "'Whoever eats this bread will live forever.' Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. So there's there's three things I want us to be able to walk away with this morning. Because like I said, when we start understanding and putting ourselves really in the same place where the Israelites were at, because for a lot of us, we read through those stories and we're like, no, 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 it's easy to judge. It's easy to be like, I would never do the same thing. But when we start realizing I'm just as guilty as they are, and I start looking at Christ's teachings, Some things start coming to life. And the first one is this, that Jesus was literally God's gift to us. That despite my undeserving, sinful, broken self, that God literally wants to hear me out and provide for me. It's not how I expected it. It's not how I would have envisioned it. But he still provided for me. I think even if I was back in the Israelite shoe, and I was able to pray for whatever food, my, my favorite food, that God could pray down. Like, God, I, I need you to provide, and I want queso and chips to just rain down. Like, even if He provided for me that daily, like, I'd feel, still find a way to whine and complain and be bitter or whatever it may be about it. I'm guilty of that. And so we know later on in the Scriptures, past Exodus, that God's people started begging for a Messiah. But what the God's people wanted, wanted is they wanted someone to come as a king, a mighty warrior, someone to, to over, overthrow the ruling parties. But again, God hears his people, but he answered it not how they were expecting it. He provided a baby who was born in the most meek and humble conditions that would ultimately grow up and live a flawless life for you, for them, for me. And as a result of that, he became my Savior, my Deliverer. And not only is he the answer to the to all of us then, he's the answer to all of us today. And that's beautiful. And so that's the second thing. Jesus' gift is for everyone. See, Jesus was a master includer. He literally was known for giving everyone an invite to the party. The misfit, the outcast, those who were deemed not worthy by society. Literally every single person, he says, has... A spot at the table. Like, what did he say back in, um, in John 6? I'm the living bread. Anyone, not just Kevin, not just, you know, this elite list of people, but anyone who eats the bread will live forever. He's literally saying, I am here and I'm offering myself for anyone. I am available for all, and that's how I work. And that is a beautiful thing. So, when I understand that Jesus not only is a gift for me, but in that gift for me, it is my responsibility to be led by the Holy Spirit to have conversations because it literally is a gift to everyone. Sometimes that's awkward to do. Sometimes when it comes to our places of work or when it comes to our our, our ways of doing things, our lifestyles in which we live, it may mean that we have to go a path that's a little bit different than what we think it should be. Our trajectory has to change and we've got to go a little bit different course. And when we do that, it's uncomfortable. But we live in the comfort of knowing the Holy Spirit has already guided that path for us. When we feel prompted to have that conversation with that neighbor across the street... That coworker who we know is going through a tough time. Whatever it may be, God's already laying that groundwork for us. He just wants us to share the love that he's provided for us to everyone. As a, as a student pastor, I've been working with a group of students and reading through a book uh, called Everybody Always by Bob Goff. It's a phenomenal book. Really have enjoyed it. But it's all about becoming love in a world of, full of setbacks and difficult people. And he has this quote in there, and I, and I just wanted to share it with you guys this morning. I think Jesus meant something different when he said love your enemies. He meant we should love the people we don't understand, the ones we disagree with, the ones who are flat out wrong about more than a couple of things. I've got plenty of those people in my life and I bet you do as well. In fact, I might be one of those people sometimes. It's simple to say to people, Jesus loves you. It's a whole lot different to live that out when it causes us to go off our normal and our trajectory that we think we should be on. The third thing is this, we just can't pick up our manna, we have to eat it too. It's a simple principle. If the people, the Israelites would have gone around and just picked up manna and stored it and said, hey, we're going to save this until we're down the road, they literally would have starved and, starved and died. Simple, right? But the same thing is true of our own spiritual, spiritual beings. If we're just coming to church out of obligation, out of just habit, when our seasons get tough, we're going to wither up and die. But when it comes to things in our struggles, we're going to immediately turn our back to God every single time. But when we eat from His truth, when we seek back after, when we spend times in prayer, when we spend time in community, living life out with one another, when we do these things, when we worship together on a daily basis, and that doesn't mean we have to do all of it. None of us are perfect. None of us are going to figure that out. Maybe you're better than me. But on, if I just, at least on a daily reminder, go to the throne and say, God, listen, I don't have it figured out and I need you today. He is willing to provide. He wants to provide. He loves to provide. I just got to realize it's not the way that I anticipated it to happen. And so if you've already chosen, or actually let me start back, or rewind that. If you haven't had that conversation yet, I encourage you to do so this morning with someone. We're going to have some prayer warriors in the front um, after we get through. And I encourage you to start that conversation if you're someone who has you know, what, you know what I know that God is my deliverer I know that I have a relationship with him and I know I'm guilty of that I encourage you to take on a challenge that we're going to do this week and we're going to do something a little bit different as we close but we're going to challenge every single one of us in this room to, for the next seven days to pick up some manna and we're going to even give you a kind of a direction with that with one weekend but the reality is this God wants to provide for all of us he has provided for all of us We have got to decide what we're going to do with it. Whether we're going to accept it, and if we've accepted it, are we going to give it to everyone else? Or, be like, no, I've got it figured out, I'm going to turn my back. Choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and we thank you for being a good, good father. And we thank you for just providing for us constantly. Lord, I know I'm so guilty and thank you for just the reminder of how often I turn my back on you but just how amazing you are and loving you are but always willing to have your arms outstretched wide open to embrace me time and time and time again. Lord, we thank you and we praise your name. Amen.